Hello and welcome into another episode of the Esports Network podcast and the College Esports Quick Take in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Dreams. And if you're listening to the show on the Esports Network podcast feed, well, you still appreciate that, but be sure to subscribe to the College Esports Quick Take. These full-length interviews are published a week ahead on that feed to go along with various different daily segments focused entirely on college esports, high school esports, and academic research being done in the worlds of esports and gaming. If you're already on the College Esports Quick Take feed, thanks for subscribing. We've got a great guest for y'all today. He's Dr. Chris Haskell. He's the head coach and director of Varsity Esports and an associate clinical professor at Boise State University. Most people in college esports know him as simply Doc Haskell, probably because it reminds everybody of the character from Tombstone. Doc, thanks for joining the show. <laughs> thanks a lot. Ah, uh, yes. Good old Doc Holliday. Tuberculosis. <laughs> That's what I want to be remembered as. He's the guy that is kind of like that guy at tuberculosis. I mean, he's a cool guy. The, the scene with the... Uh, where he's flipping the mug around like a pistol. One oh, yeah. of my all-time favorite uh, scenes in, in any movie. Absolutely. Doc has been one of the leaders in college esports for years. In the 2019-2020 season, Doc won NACE's Program Director of the Year Award, as well as winning Esports Coach of the Year from NACAD, the National Association of Esports Coaches and Directors. And Boise State's program is one of the most well-rounded in the country. Two of their individual team coaches in Rocket League and Overwatch both won NACE awards in their respective titles. Boise State feels varsity esports teams in three titles, League of Legends, Overwatch, and Rocket League. And they also offer quite a few supported games with access to the practice arena and the broadcast staff, but those players don't receive scholarships, at least at this time. The supported games are Rainbow Six, Valorant, Hearthstone, and the Battle Royale trio of Fortnite, Warzone, and Apex. As a major program, the varsity esports ecosystem extends beyond the games themselves. There are opportunities for journalism students, like myself, to get involved with shoutcasting and live event production, as well as other various support staff roles alongside the program. Boise State is one of the few notable traditional sports institutions to have a varsity esports team as well. Boise's football team was quite popular in the last decade, being part of one of the coolest college football games of all time, beating Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl in 2007. Doc, I'm excited to have you here. I want to start with talking about that tie into traditional sports. We had the director of the Maui Invitational on the show recently, a tournament that Boise State competed in, and he talked about how they look for the best esports programs to pair with top sports programs. Are we going to see more opportunities open up events like that, which are sort of adjacent to existing college sports events? Yeah, I think we are. Uh, you know, Dan Cardell and that whole group that put together the Maui Invitational, I think, did it in a way that we're going to see a lot more, right? Which is we take a known property like the Maui Invitational and we just e expand it. Our own Mountain West Conference did that with our spring basketball tournament by adding esports to our conference basketball championships. Uh, so we actually travel most years, except for COVID years, to Las Vegas to compete with uh, some of the other schools in our conference for that championship. I, I think that pairing makes a lot of sense because the, the infrastructure is almost always paid for in those cases. It's just another layer of entertainment. And, you know, Mitch, they're always looking for different ways to add entertainment to those big sporting events. Absolutely. And the Maui Invitational seemed to be a pretty successful event by all metrics. Some of the viewership that they put out was really high for a varsity or for a college esports event at all. And I think they did a really good job of uh, bringing in teams that are successful 
in esports. I believe it was the finals were Northwood versus Illinois. I don't have it up in front of me, uh, but Northwood being a, a varsity esports program with like nine different teams, and Illinois being you know your traditional basketball uh, school. And so they did a really good job of pulling teams from both worlds and creating a competition that appealed to. Uh, people who were fans of varsity and college esports already, and people who are fans of basketball who are used to seeing some of those blue blood institutions there as well. Yeah, it, it, that part was really, really cool. And you saw you saw a, a bunch of just phenomenal programs uh, in esports represented in there. Uh, Maryville early on, of course, Mizzou and Kevin Reap and that group were were in there as well. We we drew them in the round of eight, which is never which is never a good thing. They're just they're pretty dang good. But uh, yeah, when you combine, I mean, it's, it's the layering, right? It's the layering of these two things together. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I was, uh, I was giving them a little crap because my, uh, my Oregon Ducks have a pretty nice Rocket League team right now. And I thought that we were a prime candidate for inclusion. But, you know, y'all you got off easy this time. Well, see, now that is the other side of the college sports um, coin, which is there, of course, are the competitions. And then there are the arguments about who should be in the competitions. And so we should all in college esports be really excited that we have advanced from the, no, no, this is a real thing conversation to the, oh, we got totally left out of that thing that we should have been a part of. And there's no way they can be number one because this team is way tough. You're right. That's the world we want to live in with the rest of college sports, not the, no, 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 we, we deserve to be here. Right. Little little kid jumping up and down in the back row trying to be seen. That's not who we want to be. We want to be shouting in the front row. I love how quickly it's changed. I mean, Oregon, when I was in school in 2017, had zero esports infrastructure, like a League of Legends club. And that was it. And I went back in February uh, right before they shut down my last trip and they had a whole esports uh lounge opened up with top of the line computers the my program duck tv sports had created duck tv esports which was doing shout casting uh they had a whole forum with uh, people from eg was there team liquid was there the gen g was there it was it was crazy to see because i was knocking on doors just three years ago and everybody was like oh yeah uh, we, we don't really care that much and i was like oh okay well, here's here's the deal. And and especially with Oregon. And if if you're one of these folks that at a different institution is like, we got to get this off the ground. Not enough credit goes to David Gugliotta, who really put that on his shoulders as a graduate student and got it in the right conversations and the right doors. I still feel sad every day that it didn't work out that he could stay there in that position. Uh, but big institutions, you know, financial organizations, it's tricky, right? It's tricky. But uh, but David G did uh, so much legwork, came, brought a team to visit us, to play us, um, you know, on a road game, um, really, really a, a ton of work. And for people out there who are like, well, why can't my institution, big name Division One football institution, have a fully supported esports program? Because it takes someone to walk it into the right conversations, right? To explain what it needs and what it doesn't need and and to be that champion and not nearly enough credit. You know, he's currently looking for the right institution for himself, um, but but David G is, uh, is the guy. Um, he's going to get another opportunity, I think, to build something special somewhere else as well. Sadly, um, he didn't get to stay at your Oregon, but his his good work is still there. His good work is there. Yeah, he's 
absolutely somebody worth picking up for any and you know this is going to be an expanding space quickly uh and there's not a lot of people like david g who have actually built out college esports programs at major institutions already and are currently looking for positions so i yeah. i imagine he gets snapped up pretty yeah. quickly well and and he's a shiny uh, if we're speaking the pokemon language um he's special <laughs> he's rare he's a shiny um you, you you do all you can to get him i'm sending him this podcast after okay, after good, we finish good. by the way i, <laughs> I hope yeah. you know that uh, so shouts yeah. out to you david g uh thank you for turning our album my album honor into a uh respectable institution and the other guy yeah. who deserves a lot of credit for that as well is david higdon who is the oh yeah 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 uh he was board director of the warsaw school of sports marketing got a job with riot games about two years ago as global head of communications uh and i think having somebody go from a position like that right into a major position at riot definitely helped accelerate some things too so yeah it's a great lens into what it takes to get these major institutions to start creating esports programs and to really push it along is it takes uh, really passionate students who are in, you know, David Jews, it was a grad student and as well as an administrator like yourself, like David Higdon, somebody who's uh, in those rooms that makes the call a little bit uh, and to, for them to carry the banner as well. So I think that brings into the next question as Boise State is one of those recognizable institutions with a varsity esports program, and that's still something that Oregon still hasn't taken that jump to. How do you, how are we going to see more institutions uh, create varsity programs, and what are some of the roadblocks standing in the way of that? Ooh, so big institutions mitigate financial risk. That is just a law. Big institutions mitigate financial risk, meaning that they're they're all on board for really good ideas, but but they, they can't put themselves in a position where they can be uh, sued. And honestly, when, when administrators don't know enough about something, um, they tend to act on rumor, uh, act on, on speculation, and they're just nervous. So what it really needs, uh, certainly at a Division I football school like ours, is it needs somebody who's permanent. No offense to students, but uh, if we do our job right, you're not permanent. If we do our job poorly, you are right. So, uh, so energy follows uh, students, and we do everything for students. But there's always this fear. Okay, we're going to build out this lounge, but what are we doing in two years when all these folks graduate? Is there who's who's responsible? Who's going to be in there? Who's going to make sure that the equipment gets updated? You know, it's like so. It takes it takes somebody who can be a figurehead at a university, and a lot of student clubs don't like that idea. I'm like, oh, they don't know anything about what we're doing. They're, you know, they're going to come in here and they're going to ruin it. And, uh, you know, universities don't build clubhouses on campus. That's what off campus is for. So it takes it takes somebody with with some some history, someone with some permanence on campus to calm all the fears about why we're doing this. Everybody's on board for for really should we do this? Yes. But but how in a way that is sustainable that's what you need somebody with some permanence for. At least that's been my experience. That's not uniform. The folks at LSU have done an amazing job, and Washington have done an amazing job building it just on student energy and a little bit of oversight from, uh, from, from faculty and staff. But they are rare exceptions uh, to that grassroots student-led type of thing. In every other case that I can think of, Mizzou, UCI, you know, Mark and Kathy do a great job down there, but but they're permanent fixtures on campus. 
well, Kathy was a student at the time, um, but now she's a you know co-director. And uh, it it took somebody to say, no, 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 this isn't gonna gonna ruin us if we do this. And by the way, here's how we're gonna pay for it. Uh, and and those folks that are permanent fixtures can get those meetings. Students have a difficult time. So if if it's a student who's listening to this and like, why can't we do this at you know Southwest Northern Louisiana State? Um, great school, by the way. <laughs> great, great school. F- Fighting hillbillies, one of my favorite schools. Uh, the, uh, the you're gonna need somebody um, who can who can stand in the room with the dean, the provost, and say, no, no, we're gonna we're gonna reclaim this classroom, and here's what we're gonna use it for, right? I, and I'll take the keys, right? I'll have the keys for it. Uh, that's that's kind of where it begins. You need space, and usually you need a permanent staff member to help build out that space. So that's a roadblock. Finding finding a person who can be your advocate on campus. What can students do to try and maybe find those advocates? Is that just something where the the person just has to step up, the administrator has to step up, or can students be maybe trying to create that connection with? Uh, you know, there's quite a few courses that are being created on games on. Uh, even in the journalism pathway, we had a article yeah. or a, a topic that was completely on writing in games. And I'm curious if there, there's ways students can maybe try and create those connections uh, if they are feeling a little like our hands are tied and we can't make anything happen without an administrator. Um, well, okay. One one thing, th- this is just genuine advice. So, so I'm talking to a student and, and I, by the way, I have a lot of these phone calls and have for the last number of years where somebody from a university will call and say, hey, how do we get started to do what you've done there? And by the way, I'm a student or I'm a graduate student uh, or uh, I'm an adjunct or whatever it is. And uh, the most important thing I would say is don't tell them, don't tell anybody about it, show them right? Organize a thing that someone can come and see because I don't care how good your pitch deck is. It, it doesn't convey the emotion of what it's like to hear um, a crowd cheer um, as, uh, you know, as someone turns a dragon fight, right? With just an unreal hook, right? Just a Nautilus hook that just yanks somebody in there that they don't, that you can't explain that. Um, also, no one cares about the infighting. Don't explain why some of your Smash players, you know, aren't participating in meetings because they're, you know, they're kind of out there rogue on their on their own. Uh, <laughs> no one cares. No one cares about any of that. In fact, they don't even care about the games. Uh, they don't. Uh, they don't care what the games are. If you're going to show them a game, show them Rocket League because everybody gets that. Doesn't matter that it's not League of Legends. Doesn't have the same viewership. Doesn't matter. Um, and and don't show them something that they might find objectionable. Um, whenever you have an opportunity to share something with somebody, share it with video, share it with um, a- them actually seeing it, share it with something emotional because any message that you give uh, will only be sticky as it is inspiring or emotional, right? So uh, for forever, uh, we've stopped using it a, a little bit more, but we created a short 42-second um, video Um that was intended to, air quotes, welcome the University of Oklahoma. Uh, Mike Aguilar, Moog, one of my absolute favorite people in the world. Um, he and I are, are very good colleagues. But this video directly poked fun at the Boise State victory over Oklahoma in the, uh, <laughs> right, in the 2007 Fiesta Bowl, 2008 Fiesta Bowl, right? All-time great um, And it was a, hey, Oklahoma, we hear you're starting esports. Welcome. 
and we were starting at the same time. Welcome to esports. We should play sometime. Then, of course, the Statue of Liberty, the proposal. Um, you know, the Broncos have won the Fiesta Bowl. Our own local announcer voiceover. We mix it together, and then it ends with the frame too soon. Question mark, right? <laughs> Boy State Esports. That's what we showed people. They're like, what is esports? Here it is. We show, I mean, There's just a little bit of kids gaming and playing at the very beginning of it. A- and then it's the football game and then it's the thing. We, we intentionally bound together the emotion of this really good event uh, for us, right? It's, it's part of our culture so that people would put those two ideas together and they'd be excited about whatever this was. When they heard esports again, we wanted them to remember this just beautiful moment, right? For us, that, and that's that was the vocabulary that worked for us. Every campus is different. It doesn't necessarily take a rivalry like that, but they help, right? Uh, yeah, was, I mean, we, yeah. It was the only way I got any traction in 2017. I would talk to people and be like, "Well, we don't care," and I'd be like, "Well, Washington, Oregon State do," and they're like, "Oh, really?" Wait, what? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. They they have a whole centralized student club up, up at Washington at the time. Or, Oregon State had a pretty large student club, and we just only had the segmented League of Legends club. I was playing Hearthstone Tespa matches out of a dorm room. I was like, hey, I'm competing against Washington. I'm competing against Oregon State. I'm competing against Cal. They have facilities and stuff like that. And they're like, oh. Yeah, it's really? it's that it's that awareness like, oh, wait, we might not have been invited to the party that um, institutional jealousy um, that <laughs> many of us use intentionally together in tandem uh, to to help inspire the people on our campus of the importance of this. So uh, A.J. Dimmick, the director of uh, Utah, University of Utah, uh, they're, they're a rival of ours. Utah is a big rival. AJ and I text regularly and he's asked me and I've asked him multiple times to send pictures of the thing that they're working on or that we just put together. I've sent him pictures of our arena because he's walking into a meeting and he just wants to like inspire a little bit of, well, we're better than them. A little jealousy. Uh, and, And it works. It works. I mean, we we're on this. All of us, all schools. I've said this a million times. We're on the same team. We are competing for the time and attention of our campus and community. And we're all in that together. Uh, of course, we compete against each other, and that's a valuable tool. But really, we're colleagues. We, sh- we share everything we can. We want everyone to be successful because that makes us more permanent. And, uh, well, I mean, it makes what we do more valuable for our institution. Absolutely. We are definitely in a place right now where just growing the pie is the overall goal yeah, of every single yeah, person. Exactly. There's no need to fight over pieces. We can make this quite a bit larger and everybody will have plenty. Uh, I want to switch gears a little bit. We mentioned games and specifically titles. Uh, Boise State competes with a varsity program in Overwatch, Rocket League, and League of Legends. And I'm called those the big three. Uh, one of the segments we do on the College Esports Quick Take is a program spotlight where we highlight the top oh, right. uh, varsity esports programs. And so I've gone through, I think, 12 top ones. You were one of the first ones. UCI, Maryville, uh, Robert Morris, Northwood, Harrisburg. You know, take your pick. Varsity esports programs with some level of success. Uh, usually ones that appeared in EFUS's college coaches rankings, things like that. Uh, and almost every varsity program offers those three games. And some may have more, especially in the smaller institutions. Northwood in particular has, I think, nine varsity esports teams. Uh, but quite a few stick at those three. Why have those emerged as the dominant titles in college esports? Uh, for a couple of reasons. And as, as I do this, uh, I'm, I'm pouring out my 40 in remembrance of RMU. 
Um, we love Robert <laughs> Morris and Kurt Melcher. Amazing job there. The um, it it's it's a it's a product of our times how how universities like that uh, transition and get bought up and 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 programs go away. But it it still deserves to be a jewel in that esports crown because uh, Kurt and and that crew led the way. Um, I, I we are so appreciative to him still. Sorry. So, but you asked. No, it was question. one of the why, more why interesting you... episodes because oh, I was like, I need absolutely. to talk about RMU, but yeah, they're they're undergoing these changes. They they were they were bought out by Roosevelt University. Roosevelt, thank you, thank you. And yeah, I, I have a colleague who used to work at that institution, and it's the craziest thing you've ever seen. It's like a 20, 25, 28 story building, a single downtown building block, and. First floor is admissions. I'm not making this up. Second floor is like the bookstore. Third floor is like the student union. Um, Wait, what? You know, dining hall. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a high rise. Like you can, I mean, classes are like fifth through 12th or whatever. Residence is, is like 15 through 19. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. Roosevelt <laughs> University in Chicago. Check it out. If Wild. It's really cool. I, huh. I think that they're going to find a way to rebuild this a little bit, but without Kurt there, um, you know, kind of shaking the chains. I don't, I don't know that, uh, that it'll, um, it'll, it'll just instantly pop back to where it was, but, uh, but you, you ask a really good question about these games. Um, they, they are team games, right? They all require teamwork, which is core to what we always do in athletics, right? And we refer to our students as student athletes. Um, and think of that in the broad term be, of why they're there for, for competition and preparation, but also to be students. Not that they are necessarily uh, fast, strong, or, uh, you know, or agile in the traditional sense. But um, th so they're team games. So we, we play those games because they're team games. Love to Hearthstone. Eh, we forced a team uh, approach to it. Right in in the uh, in in the conversational conquest approach, right, and and that's interesting, but but it's still not the same type of of, of team game uh, with you know, with specific callouts and positioning and approaches and you know I mean, uh, compositions. Uh, so and so they are team games and they are T rated games. Um, those help. Uh, also, what helps them quite a bit is that they are. Um, they are supported by massive communities who love the games and esports, to a large degree, already existed around them or is well supported around them. With with love to Valorant, and we have a uh, a well supported. We have multiple rosters in Valorant as a supported um, program, and and you you mentioned that perfectly up front, right? Um, we just don't coach them and we don't regulate them, right? Um, we support them in every other way we can with gear, with our name and likeness and, and marketing and branding and things like that. We broadcast them, uh, but we don't coach them directly. They're, they're coached by um, themselves, the students, and they organize their rosters in that way. So, um, but, but Valorant, the grand question is, okay, well, it's a team game. It's very interesting. It's well, well made. Um, the esports scene is kind of coming up around it, but we don't know if we bring in a Valorant uh, recruit next year. Will that game be a viable esport for, uh, you know, for the next four years? I mean, uh, imagine all the folks right now who are who are dealing with their Apex Legends recruits. What what's happening there, right? That's kind of a it's kind of a tough deal. Um, 
because it, it really isn't supported the way the others are. So so a big part of why we choose the games we do is that there's there's a rich lineage of, of eSport and the storytelling around that eSport. Uh, and they're team games, and they're not objectionable in that they're, they're T-rated games. Um, I've, I said often for the first uh, you know, a couple of years of our program, if I only get one conversation about esports, it, it can't be about gun violence. Right. I mean, I, so, so, you know, CSGO uh, was not really something, it was a great esport, um, but, you know, but blood splatter uh, is a, is a, is a thing that we sometimes have to have conversations about. And if we have that conversation, we've in a sense lost maybe the momentum that we need. It, it's like football. Uh, if you're if you're explaining football to somebody for the first time, trying to get that on your campus, um, and CTE comes up, um, it kind of takes the air out of it. Uh, you know, and same thing with with uh, with gun violence. However, now that we are established and people understand what it is that we do, we support Call of Duty and we support Rainbow Six, right? Which are really well done titles but also they're developing good you know collegiate and intercollegiate esports titles one of the reasons we don't do nearly as much with um the battle royales is the 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 thing you talked about specifically how does oregon play washington or oregon state in yeah. Fortnite? It, you know it's it, it's such it's uh, battle royales are such an interesting way well if you have all the schools together right you know, you have 50 yeah, like schools a track of meet. duos. Right, Almost. exactly. But even track meets are hard to follow in the sense of how can I tell who's behind and how they're going to get ahead. Uh, Rocket League, right? I mean, I think I think often for our broadcasting and storytelling, uh, I, I think often of Aaron Sorkin, right, who talks about obten- uh, excuse me, intention and obstacle, right? It's very difficult to define in the storytelling the intention of the team who's in ninth place, your team, and the obstacles that they need to overcome to get into second or third, right? Just like a track meet. It's like, well, okay, so we have to win these two, and, well, we got to get enough eliminations in this next round. There are only two rounds left, and since it's elimination race, we have to hope that it's like, it, it gets really, really confusing. In Rocket League, it is not confusing. You know, there are 54 seconds left. We're down by one. We need to tie it up, but not too early, Right. Um, we got to get side control. We got to get some some good passes, and we got to get some follow up. We can't get robbed of boost. We can't let ourselves get. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so much easier to tell the story and to explain the character of our team or or the opponents uh, in, in a way that people understand. Uh, Battle Royale games, it's really hard to do that, especially when you don't have a villain you can point to. In Rocket League, we can point to Mizzou as the villain. In Fortnite uh, or or Warzone. Uh, you know, there are seven villains above us. You know, it's like, yeah. it's it's tricky. It, it, yeah, it's it, it's it's an issue that all Battle Royals are facing for all esports. It, so it's definitely not just college esports feeling this. You know, Fortnite has just sort of created a bunch of different tournaments and they've moved towards these more community-supported tournaments with very spread-out prize pools. So they offer like $5 million, but it goes to... I think a thousand people. I'm pulling these numbers. I know the five million dollars for the winter frenzy, but I can't right, remember exactly right. how many people won. But basically, a lot of people won ten thousand instead of it being like one person won uh, two million dollars, like they did for the Fortnite World Cup. So it's 
it, it's a problem they're also trying to figure out. Nobody's really created the best battle royale format, and the just the nature of the event might not ever allow it to be totally possible. We we so, view it like golf. That if we're going to tell the story of it, we're going to tell the leading stories, not the hometown story, right? I mean, we can reference the hometown story that people know, but it's not the same as a as a two school matchup uh, where all of the stakes are present. You can still tell a good story in broadcasting by identifying the stories at the top, the stories that you can follow. Right. I mean, all good storytelling is introducing questions that you have to listen closely to hear the answers. Right. Uh, and, and those questions have to be interesting enough to really draw people in. And, and that's not view, not viewers, but minutes watched. Kevin Hong from uh, Twitch uh, gave us this line years ago and we've, we've written it on our wall is that the, the currency of esports is minutes watched. Um, and that's how you know if you're doing a good job. If somebody just happens to jump into your chat and then is out in a millisecond, uh, then then maybe we're not telling a story that they're interested in. But we believe that we could get your mom to tune in. And if we're telling the story right, she doesn't have to know the game. She doesn't have to know the details. But we're going to hook her because I, I, I apologize for using the word hooker and your mom in the same sense. I apologize. Um, but we're going to we're going to catch her uh, by by telling a good story that she's now interested in finding out how it, how it resolves. Absolutely. It's what traditional sports, I'll, I'll, I'll let it pass. I wouldn't have even right, noticed right. that you not stopped. Uh, <laughs> um, it's what traditional sports do so well. I always make this comparison. They're like, well, League of Legends is so hard to understand. I'm like, do you understand how a 3-4 defense works? Do you understand how cover two drop on a football field works? Uh, no, I don't understand how blocking schemes work. I watch football almost every weekend. And it's like, there's... A level of understanding that you need to understand how the game's played. And then there's a much higher level of understanding that you could create and dive into over time. But it shouldn't be necessary. If I'm watching League of Legends, be like, oh, that guy got a kill. That's good. You know, yeah. they took down this thing. The casters are really hype. That's good. Like, there's these baseline moments in League of Legends that make it understandable. And a large part of that is the broadcast telling people when, hey, you should be excited about this. Hey, this is why this was really cool. Uh, and that little level of communication is is awesome. And I think that college esports programs are creating this new level of caster. People who have a lot better experience with it can really hone their skills in college uh, going into the wider esports industry. Uh, and so I'm curious, going forward, what role do you, are, do you see college esports playing in the wider esports ecosystem now? And how do you see that evolving over the next five years? Well, that's a good question because I think that people mistakenly, people outside of esports, your audience won't, won't uh, have this belief that, that you go to college and then you go to pro. And that's not the way it works in esports, right? And your audience knows that uh, as a player. But the truth is that opportunities are given to people who, one, are available. We say all the time that the most important ability is availability, right? I mean, the people with the most experience in our broadcast team are the people who made themselves available and, uh, and picked up the phone. Hey, a Friday night, we just had uh, one of our casters uh, have to drop out. It's 20 minutes before we go live for this big live match. Can you, can you cover? Yes, I'll be there. Um, I'll be wearing sweatpants, but I'll be there, Fish famously said. It's like, all right, we'll, we'll keep the coverage above the belly button. 
Um, and it's, it's the people who are available that get these opportunities and who make themselves available, who, who, you know, contact, a, uh, you know, a, a nerd street or an e-stars and say, Hey, I'm going to be at the event. Do you need a PA? Right. Mm-hmm. That's the person who a year later, um, is running the full graphics package, you know, backstage because they've demonstrated they can do stuff. And, uh, and, and our, our colleagues at, at Louisiana, uh, state have been really, really out there in, in that encouragement. I think of Ben, right? Uh, I think of Ben from LSU all the time and he, him just showing up and saying, uh, I know some stuff. Um, teach me. I'm, I'm happy to help, right? There's always more work to do. Um, so, so the relationship between the professional level and the, uh, and the collegiate level uh, I think is much closer than the amateur and professional uh, in that you can get much more experience that's better supported, that has greater expectations uh, as uh, as a college student to find an opportunity to get into professionals than you can as a high level or tier two or tier three amateur um, who just does their does their thing, um, you know, who who was a was an owner of Renegades and then. Um, you know, flop fusion, I'm making up names now. And then, uh, you know, <laughs> grandma's stick of butter or whatever these organizations were. And there's always this, you know, well, we just, we didn't see eye to eye or, well, I decided to leave that because of this and right. I, it's, it's much better to, I think for people to engage in college esports and, and to be a part of every bit that they can and use a good university, uh, and their connections to do more as a professional, whether it's a coach, an analyst, uh, a broadcaster, uh, you know, your body of work and where that work is visible is is what gives people the opportunity to get to the top of the pile uh, in in these opportunities and interviews. Right. It may not mean they get the gig every time, but it's going to get them in the top of the pile if you've got real experience that you can point to. Absolutely. It's I would have killed for that experience coming out of school. I talked to you less than a year out of college when I it was for, yeah. I believe that Mountain West competition you yep, you yep. mentioned earlier. Uh, we talked about UNLV and I'm actually living in Las Vegas now, by the way. Uh, and nice. it would be, uh, we talked about that. And I remember thinking back to that first year out of school, I basically, I had a journalism background, a sports journalism background, uh, but did not have, I I played college sports. I, I tried to compete in some TESPA events and I was aware of it. Uh, but I basically was thrown into the journalism world as like, okay, now figure it out. Like there were no classes on esports I took. And I suddenly, I started to have to learn about all the things that you don't know about as a fan. It's like a fan. Oh, okay. Call of Duty exists. League of Legends exists. It's like, oh, now I have to go back to Starcraft, Kespa. I have to learn about the history of esports. I have to learn about Quake. I have to learn about Major League Gaming and just make sure I have all this knowledge. And so I think people coming out of college programs now, especially if they are able to take some sort of classes or something focused on that, as well as get some live event experience it is really just such a leg up and it's going to create a new crop of esports professional uh, that we just didn't even have a few years ago. Right. Most everybody is, is self-made. Um, you know, you, you think Alex, you think golden boy, you think, um, you know, Chris or Monte Cristo, they just kept showing up and engaging the fans. And while, while we tend to think of many of the 
big names in collegiate esports or or just esports broadcasting as oh well they were in early so they got all the opportunities like like early YouTubers right they're famous because they were there that's a small part of it but no one I think gives enough respect to uh, to the amount of work that that Alex or Chris did specifically or I I think of Gilly um, all mm-hmm. the time because she was my introduction to esports um, you know watching um, the uh, the, you know, HGC, uh, broadcasts and how much I loved those broadcasts for heroes of the storm. Also pouring out another 40, I think I have too, I think I have too many forties. <laughs> are, are I have flowing way quickly. too many forties. Yeah. Alex, we need to get some more forties. Um, but <laughs> the, the idea that, um, that they just were there and, and they didn't put any work in besides showing up I, is the, is the greatest disservice to the way that they looked at traditional sports, they identified what worked in esports, and then they just they just consumed everything that they could. The best people, this is the secret to anybody's success, the best people in anything are ravenous consumers of what has come before them, right? Um, they, they are so interested in how other people do things and, and trying those things, B- being a student of... Uh, you know, of the discipline, uh, the the people who are the best at a discipline or get the most opportunities, whether or not you can see those brushstrokes, are a complete student of the discipline. And they know nerdy things that no one else would, right? Uh, and, and that's the secret to being successful at anything. You, you know, if you look, look back over time, I mean, the Steve Jobs, the, the Wozniaks, the they just learned everything that they could and they tried to use everything that they could long before people gave them air quotes permission to do it. Right. Um, that's absolutely. The, yeah. And those people deserve a lot of credit too, because you mentioned how it's like, Oh, well we know these people. Well, we don't know a lot of the people who were in those same circles and didn't put the time in and yeah. they decided, Hey, this is a completely volatile industry that's in a growth that we hope will grow, but it's really, we're doing this for passion. And so, you know, guys like Chris Bucket, who hosts a show for eSports oh, Network yeah. now, to, to do that in 2002 was not a sure thing. He was just uh, passionate about it and wanted to work for it. And he worked so hard that he became famous in this industry. And that's not an easy thing because there's quite a few people who were around those days that, art in esports that left esports that it was too volatile it didn't make sense yeah. for them and there's you know there's reasons to do that too if you had a family to support i think it'd be kind of hard to jump into True. esports you, in 2003 but you bring up a really good point and and chris puckett is a perfect example um that that success is like a butterfly the harder you try to catch it the more elusive it becomes but if you focus busy yourself about the work you'll find that it's landed softly on your shoulder. Wow, that's that's great. You guys can see why I want to dock as the first uh, <laughs> guest of the new year, right? The the pouring out 40s, the butterfly analogies, it's, it's all beautiful. Doc, I got to let you go. I know you got yep. some other things to do, but I have one final question for you. I'd be remiss yes. if I didn't ask about the coaches. A really impressive year this year uh, with two of your three varsity programs, head coaches winning NACE awards, as well as two awards for yourself. 
what is the program done to make sure players are receiving top level coaching and what's why is that so important to you as a program director to make sure you have those resources for your players well honestly like the butterfly analogy um those types of awards are not something you can chase um what we do is as a coaching staff we meet at least once a week uh as a as a group and and we coordinate our overall efforts when our scrims are what's needed we find we we want to make sure because we use the 20 hour uh NCAA uh expectation of of practice competition and meetings, right? We don't want to use more than 20 hours a week, which is really easy to do in gaming, and 24 weeks of contact. So we have to really tighten up uh, our amount of time with our students. So we're trying to always make it the most effective and economical as we can. So we meet as a group. Uh, In that, we also share challenges, problems, successes of of our different uh, players across the the teams. I'm the head coach. and I try to be at as much of every practice as I can. But just like a football team, um, you know, our linebackers coach is going to take the linebackers uh, over here and run drills and things like that. And I don't get to be a part of that because other things are going on at the same time. So we we focus on the craft of coaching. We we work through problems together. We allow other people to um, to share some some of their experience and background together and we constantly focus on what's our win condition this week not how do we win our matches um because we we can't choose to win we can only make decisions that influence our chances to win right and so so we we just talk about the win condition of the week um and sometimes that that win condition is to say you know what we're not going to scrim on Wednesday with this group because um, a bunch of them have their midterms Thursday and Friday. And if we're going to use them on Friday night for that match, let's do, and you know what, let's give this guy the night off and, and we'll bring her in and she'll sub in in that spot. Um, we, we do that collectively so that we feel confident about our decisions. So, uh, I mean, really it, it back to that, um, uh, you know, we, we, we study, we, we prepare the craft of coaching as if we still have to, a lot we still have a lot of improvement uh to make that that their success is heavily influenced by our willingness to to be really good at what we do not what we know today but what we can learn today to apply tomorrow and that goes on in perpetuity if that makes any sense i wish there was a catchy catchy way to describe it but but honestly we try to be students of the craft of teaching collectively uh, and apply that to to our games, um, and and to know and to know when to push a little harder, when to back off a little bit, um, when to focus on the technical, when to focus on the emotional, um, uh, you know, and and really, wh- what do we want to accomplish this week? Let's get through that. Let's celebrate it. Let's reset it, and let's do it again. It's a great goal, and clearly, it's working out for y'all. Yeah, I, it's one thing I'm really looking forward to is, you know, as we turn towards a new year, you always turn towards the future. And I'm looking forward to coaches playing a much bigger role in esports at large. And I think that college programs, just like they do in traditional sports, where most coaches come from college world, is actually a place where esports might be able to find uh, some really high quality coaches that make sense uh, and create those kind of steady voices that we have in traditional sports 
all around the uh, the industry. And we're seeing suppliers retire as well and become coaches. So that's something I'm definitely looking forward to is like the era of really credible coaches because esports was so young that they're just people well, had coaches and then some of them would listen to them, but generally they just didn't play that big of a role. So, so let me, let me, I mean, I know we're out of time here, but, but let me give you um, a little piece of good news. There are some amazing coaches out there and here is a short list of who you should talk to. Obviously uh, Dan Clark, AJ Dimmick, you know, Mark Deppie and Kathy Chong there does a great job. You've got to meet uh, Ashley Jones at park. If you don't know Dana Husted at uh, GVU, you have to meet her. You've course have to meet Callum Fletcher if you don't know him, Adam Antor, uh, Colin Graham. I'm forgetting so many. Mike Jones, of course, um, uh, Sean, Bernie up, uh, up at, oh, and Coach E, if you haven't talked to him. Uh, there's so many. Greg Adler. There, we live in this community that's in a bubble, but there are some outstanding Eugene Fryer coaches that are, I'm forgetting so many. Toby Evil, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, just, there's so many of these amazing uh, f- coaches and directors out there, uh, Travis Yang, Hollow, uh, just so many good, good people. I can't name them all, but but I'm excited because you've got you've got 10 years worth of content with just the people I mentioned, and I'm sure I left out 90% of the people that are way better at this gig than I am. Oh, I I think you're being modest, but there's a there's new people coming out every year. It feels like we yeah. have new programs being created, new leaders uh, coming out in this space. David G as well got to got to add oh, on yeah. a shout out again for my alma mater. Uh, but yeah, I've I've reached out to a few of those, and we're going to be having uh, Mark Deppie's set up for later this month, so you'll be able to hear from uh, quite a few of those people hopefully on this show going forward. Uh, I, and- I'll submit a question to you that you can ask him too. Please, I, I'd love to get his response to it. Like Mark, how do you handle the accusation um, that you go one button lower than you should on your button ups? <laughs> how do you address that accusation? Oh, uh, that's going to be fun. I'm going to ask him that. I hope he doesn't listen to this. Uh, <laughs> oh, podcast don't worry. Before he, I ask him, yeah, he'll he'll hard dodge it if he sees my name attached to it. Yeah, <laughs> that's the kind of hard hitting journalism that we're known for here. <laughs> Doc, I want to wrap it here. I want to give you You one final chance to plug uh, anything that Boise State has coming up, what you want people following, looking out for, watching out for, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, gosh. Honestly, I mean, support us, support your local uh, college. I mean, anybody can can chime into what we're doing on on Twitch, you know, slash Boise State. Jump in, watch a broadcast. It's easy to see what we do. But more important than that, if you've got a if you've got a school uh, that, that needs your, your love and support, give it to them. Uh, we, we want to build up everybody that we can, honestly, honestly, um, jump in and follow any of the folks that I just mentioned in that massive, um, explosion of names, but, um, it's a growing space. It's a space that has so many companies and really cool people working in it. And so many institutions, uh, creating various levels of support. It's something that, I think most people are thinking about now. So unlike 2017, you're at least going to have people understanding it. You're going to have more examples of successful programs. Uh, So yeah, focus on your little piece of it. And we're all going to expand this pie together and make it as big as we can. Absolutely. Great job. Thanks, Doc. This was fun. This was fun. To our listeners, uh, you'll be hearing this on Friday, the math, 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 eighth. And then. 
we're going to be back on Monday with In the News, uh, Academic Studies, Program Spotlights, you know, all the good stuff you expect to know on the College Esports Quick Take feed. And again, if you're listening to this on the Esports Network podcast feed and you enjoyed this conversation with Doc, you'll be able to hear these conversations earlier on the Esports Network feed and probably, or on the College Esports feed, and we'll probably be publishing some only on the College Esports Quick Take feed. So be sure to follow that feed, listen there, the same place that you like to listen in uh, to the Esports Network podcast and the Esports Minute. So thank you all. Be on the lookout back on Monday, both for the Esports Network podcast and for the College Esports Quick Take.